When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and really misses the Olympics. Where? Where will I get my modern pentathlon fix now? I'm Kevin Day and he's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Think of us as the equivalent of the Madison in cycling. A grueling, <laughs> a grueling and slightly baffling 40 minutes of tag team effort, which somehow makes sense right at the end. Kieran, the, <laughs> the Olympics is gone. Uh, the German coach who punched the horse in the modern pentathlon is gone. <laughs> football's, football's back, so Kieran. So it's questions today, today, but we do have a couple of news stories to discuss before we get into the questions, and they're big stories as well. Spanish football has either pulled off a financial masterstroke or it's sold a bit of its soul to the devil. Yes, this is uh, La Liga have negotiated with a private equity company. So it's the it, it's the equivalent of uh, getting King Herod to organise your, your baby's christening to a certain extent. <laughs> um, and it's, 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 a, it's agreed to sell, in principle, 10%. Uh, of its future broadcasting and commercial revenues for uh, around about 2.7 billion euros. So that yeah, that sounds like a lot of money. Um, and then you sort of dig into it a bit further, and it, and it looks like this deal could be you know, going on for the best part of 50 years. So uh, you know, it, it's a, it's sort it's a very very sophisticated payday loan. Um, so you look into it a bit further, and Real Madrid have come out against it. It looks like Barcelona are probably coming out against it, uh, but other clubs who who are you know, equally desperate for money they seem to be in favour. Um, we've seen uh, th- this company CVC uh, try to buy into both the Bundesliga and Serie A earlier this year, and both of those deals were ultimately rejected. Uh, they have been successful in, in getting uh, getting their hands into rugby, but um, I, I know some of the uh, the, the rugby guys uh, who are sort of on the on the sort of the committees that make these decisions, and they tend to be quite smart. Mm. So uh, I think they've probably got a, a probably extracted a bit more value. So um, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid they don't like uh, Tebas in charge of La Liga. So this is a lot to do with internal Spanish politics. And, of course, they're still part of the wonderful European Super League, which is going to save European football. Mm. Would not the fact that the first Bundesliga and then the Serie A deal fell through, would that not have rung bells in Spanish football? Well, um, you, you you would have thought so. I mean, it, it, they are offering a lot more money. Uh, I, I think the, the Italian deal was 1.5 billion euros. So this is, right. this is nearly double. Um, according to Real, it, it still vastly undervalues Spanish football. 
Um, although it could be said that uh, Spanish football is, is potentially just lost one of its biggest assets. Yes, which we're about to come on to. But I, I pause here merely to point out that I did a radio show once with a historian who said that he thought Herod was actually rather hard done by and that uh, given the size of the part of Galilee that Herod actually ruled over, it's most unlikely that he killed more than 10 or 12 innocents at the same time. Oh, okay which I thought was missing the point ever so slightly. But, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but there you go. So, yeah, it, it turned out for some people Fred West was quite a good builder, but it still misses the point of the <laughs> other stuff, basically. But um, as you alluded to, uh, Lionel Messi leaving Barcelona has been untidy. Um, there was no way I was saying Messi again, no matter how many laugh emojis <laughs> got added to the script. Um it is, it is really odd story, Kieran, because he's saying he didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Barca is saying they didn't want him to leave, but apparently, and I quote, financial and structural obstacles meant that he had to leave. Yes. Spanish football voted for what they refer to as economic cost controls mm. uh, about seven or eight years ago. And this was to prevent clubs going bust and to prevent owners overspending. So everybody signed off on this and it didn't really used to impact upon Real Madrid or Barcelona because the way that it works is that is that your wage bill is your estimated revenue for the year, less your overheads, less any debt repayments that you've got over the next 12 months. Um, and if you're as successful as Real and Barcelona, you've, you've got huge revenues. Um, yes, you've got overheads, um, and the debt repayments, you, you can normally kick down the road so that mm. there's not too much of a problem. So this this actually was was quite popular with the, with the senior clubs because it, it locks in the financial advantage that they have over the, the other clubs in Spain. So um, it would prevent the, the likes of an Abramovich or uh, Sheikh Mansour coming into Spanish football and, and shaking things up and, and uh, you know, impacting upon what's mm. effectively a duopoly. I mean, you know, fair play to Atletico; they, they have they have done extremely well uh, themselves uh, on a few few occasions recently. Um, but as a result of uh, the pandemic, it looks as if Barcelona's wage bill is going to have to drop from about 670 million euros in 2019-20 to 160 this ah, forthcoming ah, season so that right. drops it to you know, around about the same as Leicester right um so Lionel Messi um his his contract expired so if you have players on existing contracts that they they're effectively untouchable but right. if you have a player whose contract expires that contract can only be approved if it uh, if it allows you to go below the the ceiling for uh, the, these economic cost controls, and it's it's all worked out on an app. and And i've I've had some I've had some a lot of help for it. The, the people in the league have been absolutely fantastic and oh. uh, given me access to bits and pieces. So I'm, I'm really grateful to Tom and the other people there. Uh, just as a shout out for them, they've been they've been fantastic. Um, but uh, it. it you you put in the numbers, and when you try to register a player, uh, it either comes up with with red you can't or green you can. Now, for a colourblind person such as me, that, that's oh. probably not a lot of help. Yeah. But uh, clearly, it's it's got implications for 
uh, for uh, clubs such as Barcelona. So um, the club had uh, agreed with Lionel Messi uh, a contract which would have resulted in him taking a 50% wage cut. He was happy to do that. The club was happy for him to do that. But computer says no, because it would have meant that they were still over the uh, still still over the, uh, the the wage cap, um, and where it leaves the likes of Sergio Aguero, who it looks as if you know, it's uncertain uh, as to whether he will be able to play for Barcelona and some of the other people that they've signed, because until they get people off the wage bill or they sell players at a profit. And what they've done so far this summer is that they've they've got rid of some of the kids and they've got some rid of some very peripheral players, but none of that is generating income. Mm. Um, and the thing is, you know, we, we've got Barcelona with, uh, you know, they've signed Dembele, Griezmann and Coutinho all on, you know, 100 million euro plus deals. Uh, none of those have really, you know, hit, 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 the, hit the stripes as such. Um and they're, they're, they've got existing big costs to deal with, and, and you can't shift them away because nobody else is, is, is willing to match those wages. So it, is the signing of those players then the reason why the current manager said there's been drastically bad management in previous years? Because you'd imagine if they knew this was coming, they wouldn't have signed players on that level of wages because it was going to obviously impact on – I hate using impact as a verb, but it was going to have an impact on, on Lionel Messi staying or going. Um, yeah, I, I think that they thought that La Liga would possibly say, well, it's Lionel Messi. Uh, okay. um, and we're, we are, there's, we're talking politics. Football politics is the same as any other politics. There's, there's normally a workaround if, if people work hard enough on it. Um, and also, potentially, just going back to our previous story, why would uh, CVHC want to pay so much more for 10% of Spanish football? Well, Lionel Messi is arguably the best player yeah. in the world. Um, and, you know, he's a huge commercial vehicle for, you know, he is very much the, the face of, of Spanish football. So, uh, you know, it, it, the, the two things are, are potentially linked. Um, and, and therefore, Barcelona thought, well, you know, La Liga might, might, might be prepared to concede here, but uh, it, it looks as if they are taking a hard line. And uh, you know, where this leaves Messi, you know, there's talk about him now going to PSG. Mm. Um, realistically, that there's 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 only a, you know, a very small handful of places that he could move to. Uh, you know, Manchester City has been mentioned, but I think he's I think he uh, he burnt bridges there because yeah. he could have gone there 12 months ago, and uh, it sounds as if that they're sort of yeah, they were fluttering eyelids at each other but but nothing nothing really materialized um the only other potential place is to is to go to the US um because whilst they have a wage cap in the MLS in 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 America uh they also have effectively what's referred to as a star player clause whereas if you bring in a superstar um you can pay him what you want but you've got once I think you've got one or two designated superstars per club, and it's only the first hundred and fifty thousand dollars of their wages that counts towards the wage cap, and the rest is is just uh, you know conveniently ignored. Yeah, let's face it; he doesn't want to spend the last years of his career 
being chased around Vicarage Road by Troy Deeney, does he? <laughs> and also, just imagine the unseemly queue to swap shirts at the end. It'd be a nightmare. Um, and just to double check before we continue, Kieran, your your contact at the Spanish League is called Tom. Is that right? That's right. Yes, Tom. Right, Spanish Tom. Just Tom. Just it's Spanish Tom. Spanish Tom. Spanish yeah. Tom. Right. Okay. Um, and it had to happen one day, Kieran. English football has its first one hundred million pound player, um, and I imagine. It's the same level of horror happened in 1893 when West Brom signed Willie Groves or sold Willie Groves to Villa for a hundred pound. But um, it, it's it's kind of not as you remember. Oh, those those of us old enough to remember will remember the fuss that when Trevor Francis became the first mm. million pound player. And yet, it's, I mean, this has kind of raised eyebrows, but it hasn't caused the sort of headlines you would have thought it would have done even five years ago. It's he's a very good player. He's going to a club that can afford him. Yes, and also he's he's only the the ninth most expensive player in in the history of football. And uh, yeah, we talk about the Premier League being the the richest uh, product in football in the world. Um, well, if if uh, Spanish clubs can afford to sign players for a hundred million, if yeah. French yeah. clubs can do it, why not English? And the fact that it's a it's an English player going between two clubs. Um, is uh, you know I think I think he's an added bonus, um, and he, and he did have that buyout clause, which which I understand um, expired um, over over the course of this weekend. So that's why that deal was sort of hurried ah, through. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, can can Manchester City afford it? And uh, you know I've, I've spoken to one or two TV and radio stations about this. And and they they can quite easily due to the fact that he signed a six year contract and and our our very good friend amortisation comes to the rescue of Manchester City because a hundred million divided by six means a cost of sixteen million a year uh, and if you think that City have sold Angelino they've sold Jack Harrison they've got Sergio Aguero off their wage bill um, they've even got I think I think they've got about eleven million pounds from. Uh, Jaden Sancho moving to Manchester United because mm. they had a they had a kick on clause in respect of that. So um, as a result of amortisation, I think they they can afford this deal relatively easily. And let's be fair: if Andy Carroll was worth thirty five million quid ten odd years ago, and Grealish is worth a hundred now, and disappointingly for symmetry reasons, I wanted to talk about the first million pound transfer and then the first ten million pound transfer, but there wasn't one in English football. It went from Stan Collymore. Eight point five oh, wow. million, yeah. Eight point five million. Forest to Liverpool yeah. in ninety five, and then a the year after that, um, Liverpool played. Uh, no, um, uh, Alan Shearer uh, went ah. for fifteen million quid from Blackburn to yeah. Newcastle. So there was no ten million one, unfortunately. Um, anyway, let's get on with some questions, shall we? Because we have some good questions. Uh, two of which next week will be. So hang on a second. Andy Carroll went for thirty five million quid. Yes. He was, the, he was the highest transfer between two English clubs, clubs for about five years, wasn't he? For it? a long time, yeah. 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 He was a, it was a, the quiz question that everybody got. Yeah. Yes. Always, here's one for you, Andy Carroll. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> James Earnshaw is, is a Reading fan. Everyone's told us who they support this week, which is quite sweet. James Earnshaw is a Reading fan. He said Omar Richards left Reading for Bayern Munich on a free transfer in May after his contract expired, apparently because FFP restrictions meant they couldn't offer him a better contract. Would it not have been better, though, to sign him on a short deal for a bigger wage and then sell him in the summer, or would that still have broken FFP rules? The issue with Reading 
is they are presently under a transfer embargo, Ah. which means that when a player comes to the end of a contract, he can only re-sign if the club um, offer him a contract which is below a level of wages, which Ah. is acceptable to the EFL. Um, so that may have resulted in him taking a pay cut. I mean, uh, Reading's lack of wage control was was eye-wateringly bad in in recent years. So, uh, if we take a look at the the stakeholders in this, would it have been in Reading's interest for, for to sign him on a short-term contract? Without doubt. Um, would it have been in the player's interest? Well, first of all, I suspect he would have had to have taken a pay cut, which he might not have been keen about. Um, but also, if if he is moving to Bayern Munich and he is a free agent, it means that he's, his representatives would be in a position to negotiate a very nice signing-on fee, which, which he wouldn't have got. Because effectively, as Reading aren't getting a transfer fee, it allows the... Um, it allows the player and his representatives to to extract a bit more money from the deal. If, if we take a look at some of the you know the big uh, Bosman deals that have gone through, um, who was the who was the Arsenal player that went to Juve? Uh, the Welsh Ramsey. Welsh, Ramsey, yeah, yeah. You know, Aaron Ramsey went on a phenomenal amount of money in terms of his wages because Juventus said we just look at the total cost to us over four years, and that total cost is transfer fee plus wages now mm. if we're not playing any for the anything for the transfer fee we're prepared to pay more on the wages right. so this is why we are seeing players being willing to come to their end of their contract because if they are a good player who is in demand they can extract a lot more from from the next club so it wasn't in Omar Richards interests it wasn't in Bayern Munich's interests because they've saved themselves a transfer fee the only potential beneficiaries would have been uh, Reading Football Club but how they would have persuaded Omar Richards um a because his 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 agent would have said, "Well, don't sign it because we, we can pick yeah. up more money elsewhere." Yeah. Um, we know that clubs are interested in you, and B the fact that the the club has this this ongoing issue of the embargo. I just think it, it, it it's theoretically good for Reading, but it was it was never a starter. Okay, um, I'm going to call this next question, uh, Josh. Because I've been struggling with the surname, it's J E H A N, which is only five letters, but there's a lot of possibilities. It could be Josh <laughs> Jayen. I don't know. Um, but anyway, Josh, Josh, potentially Jayen. Josh tells us that he is from Sunny Jersey in the Channel Islands. The what? what what's sunny? The, the the sunny bit, as you know, is not a selling point. Everybody, you know my views on the sunny. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about you. Yes, yeah. I'm a guinea. Of course, you forgot about me. You forgot about me. Unless, unless I'm asking you a question, you forget I exist. <laughs> um, so the sunny bit is not a selling point, Josh. And I was once told off by a sheriff on Jersey. So I'm amazed I'm reading this question oh, right. out at all. Yeah. Ah, yeah, that was a, that was a fun Sunday morning. We, we were standing in a mate's or his parents' house on Jersey, and we, it was a massive knock on the door on a Sunday morning, and this bloke was standing there and went. Uh, I'm the sheriff, which of course I thought was the fun- I thought was a, I thought was the funniest thing I'd ever heard in my life. Cocky young South London boy, I'm standing there in my boxes. Well, sheriff, haha. And he says, "Yes, your your hedge is overhanging the road." Uh, I explained to him it wasn't my hedge; that he was perfectly, perfectly. Uh, There's a manscape story in here. Surely. There is surely here. Yeah, the bush was needed trimming, but yeah, I explained that he was perfectly welcome to come in and wait two weeks for the people whose hedge it was to come back. But he wasn't as dedicated to his 
sheriffing. <laughs> he was. He obviously thought having told a hungover bloke from South London that the hedge was over. Apparently, it's a hanging crime on that island. But I don't. Oh know. right. So, yeah, I wouldn't watch Bergerac because of it. Simple as that. That's <laughs> once I take against somewhere, Kieran. I take against somewhere. Mate. See, your reason for not going back to Moscow is involves the mafia, and mine involves an overhanging hedge. <laughs> but anyway, Josh says that they have a team. Uh, called the Jersey Bulls, who play right in the, yeah, it's a great, isn't it? You play in the Combined Counties League Division One, which is Step Ten on the pyramid. Now, amazingly, they won all thirty-six of their league games since their formation, although they weren't promoted because COVID meant that the league was declared null and void. But Josh wonders if that would have a financial cost. Do you get prize money from the FA for winning leagues at that level? Um. No, you you wouldn't do because um, the, the FA doesn't doesn't have a pot of money. Uh, it doesn't have, unless you've got sponsors. It's actually quite difficult to to extract money, um, and, and the sponsors tend to uh, sort of cover the the overheads of running of running those leagues. So that they wouldn't get any prize money for the combined counties league. However. Um, we're recording this show on the Saturday, and I think that the Jersey Bulls are playing in the extra preliminary round of the FA Cup today, mm. uh, away to Horsham. Uh, I'm actually tempted to go and watch the match now that it's, uh, yeah. it's been brought to my attention. Um, and if they win that, they'll get a £1,125. And if they oh. lose that, they'll get 375 Now, whether that will cover their transport costs from... Mm. Uh, from Jersey, uh, with, uh, I'm not so certain, but uh, uh, they they clearly have made a very good start. Although they lost the first match of the season, I, I was, oh, right. um, so so they've not had the greatest start. So they, yes, they they won all those thirty odd matches in a row, but they they've lost their uh, their, their first match of this season. Um, but in terms of Jersey, um, it is quite intriguing that that Jersey has applied to UEFA to be recognised as a country and therefore uh, clubs such as the Jersey Bulls and uh, Guernsey, well, no, wouldn't, well, Jersey would, would be applying independently. Yeah. Um, but uh, if, if, they, if they had been accepted by UEFA for international status, um, then in theory, uh, the, the winners of the domestic league, they could have, uh, they could have qualified for European competitions um, they would have been able to go and play international matches because at present they play in what's referred to as the the island games, which yes. is outside the jurisdiction yeah. of uh, both FIFA and UEFA. Um, but sadly, th- that was rejected. Um, they, they, they've, they've asked to speak to Severin, but I don't think they've got very far. They've asked for support from the FA, um, and that's not got very far. It does seem a little bit harsh because if you take a look at the population of Jersey, uh, you know, they're bigger than San Marino, yeah. they're bigger than yeah, Liechtenstein. Yeah. And uh, you can't say much better than that, really, in terms of, you know, why, why aren't they allowed? And um, UEFA are you know, looking at some small print and saying, well, you're, mm. you're not a sovereign nation because uh, you're, you are defended by the, the, the UK government, you know, mm. your own defence force and things like that. That's it. So it'd be interesting if people from the Jersey Bulls can keep us abreast of the progress of that, because that would be interesting. Also, I'd quite like to know whether there is any opposition to them being put in the league in the first place, because you'd imagine some of the clubs that do have to cough up travel expenses to Jersey wouldn't have been that mm. happy. So if anyone from the Jersey Bulls could explain that to us, that'd be fantastic. Our next question comes from Chris Saunders, and Chris got chatting to a friend about British Formula One drivers' non-DOM status recently. Now, 
I misread Nondom status initially, so <laughs> I was a little, <laughs> was a little bit disappointed with how the question turned out. Basically, um, but, I googled that as well. <laughs> but the question, uh, Chris's question, his friend said that race drivers pay a lot of tax in countries that they race in, and Chris says, does the same thing happen in football if if players are playing in tournaments abroad? Um. If, if 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 a player from uh, you know from Manchester United or Liverpool or Chelsea or City wherever it's going to be if they are playing uh, in the Champions League because they are employees of their own clubs there they would not uh, be uh, be due to play due to pay tax in those countries I mean you know, I, I I teach uh, I teach all over the world n- normally for. Uh, for for training companies, and you know, I, all of my tax is paid here. Mm. So um, that that wouldn't be the case. However, if they were playing for England in a tournament, and they're not employees of England, but they are getting a fee, then I think things get a little bit murky. However, uh, our very good friends at FIFA, um, because they say. Uh, to everybody that applies to host the FIFA World Cup, uh, we insist on being treated as a charity uh, when we come to your country. So right. if they go to Qatar yeah. next year, it's going, they're, they're going to be treated as a charity. Uh, it's the same in Russia in 2018, Brazil 2014, and so on. Uh, it, it means that the players don't tend to be taxable in, in terms of the money that they earn in those individual countries. Um, and where that stands in terms of UEFA tournaments, I'm not certain. Uh, I, I, I did I did message one of my, my tax inspector friends earlier, but uh, I, I think they, 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 they've probably got better things to do with their time, and rightly so. Yeah, I imagine your tax inspector's friend's equivalent of the Baroness uh probably tells him to switch the phone off or yes. her to switch the phone <laughs> off over the weekend in case the name Maguire props up. So what's the deal with the Formula One drivers? Is it because the prize money is so huge that they can win in Hungary or Monaco that they, they have to pay tax on it there and then? Uh, y- yes, because they are, are you're, you are taxed on your worldwide earnings normally in, in a place where you are domiciled. But normally when you go to another country – for a Formula One race, you're actually there for quite a few days, um, and therefore they you, you you potentially could be deemed to be caught right. under the local okay. tax rules. No. Um, but the rules vary from country to country, and again, those countries who are very keen to host Formula One races take a more of a relaxed view of these things in order to yeah, uh, make themselves more attractive to Formula One as a body. Now, our next question comes from Mark Cole, who's a friend of the pod. And mm. you listen, everybody who listens to this is a friend of the pod. Exactly. Um, uh, except in the unlikely event that they're listening in a high-security Moscow prison. Um, <laughs> uh, Mark has questions about kits. And as you know, questions about kits tend to jump the queue on this pod. Uh, firstly, do clubs or manufacturers provide a breakdown between sales of home and away kit? And generally, who chooses the away kit colour? Would it be the manufacturer, the club owner, or, and I quote, some weasel in marketing? <laughs> uh, that's why he's a friend of the pod, by the way. Uh, do we know of any managers objecting to an away kit? So, for example, Spurs manager not wanting to wear a red one. It's a pertinent question, Kieran, for Palace fans, because the new third kit that was released last week, which is based on the design of the original team from 1862, sold out in hours. It sold far more 
than the the new home kit and the new away kit. So would so would the manufacturers be happy to provide that sort of information? Um, no, uh, they, they they will certainly provide that to the club, although it tends to be the club that does the vast majority of the selling. But uh, everybody's notoriously tight lipped um, with uh, with regards to actual numbers of units sold because uh, it, it's deemed to be commercially sensitive. And, oh. and, and even I thought I thought that Palace kit looked quite decent. It's 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 a bit Blackburn like, isn't it? It is a little bit Blackburn like, but it turns out if Steve Parrish is right that Blackburn nicked the idea from us. In 1863, but let's not get into that. We, we had a massive row on the Palace pod this week about the whole issue, so let's not let's not go there, Kieran. Basically, um, but, no. but it is, but it's it's beautifully designed because it's got a um, a sort of silk crystal palace in the warp and weft. Um, yeah, as you can tell, I don't know the, the right <laughs> words for these things, but it's a lovely kit. But it's been in, it's been incredibly popular, and and you know the club were happy to admit that it's it sold out, although. As you say, I don't know how many. I don't know whether that means they've sold fifty or five thousand. But yeah, um, I mean, in terms of who chooses it, um, if there is some form of historical event, you know, you're, so you're, you're, I think uh, you know, Rangers have got one hundred and fifty years coming up in yeah. in uh, twenty twenty two, for example. Um, normally, somebody from the club will be in touch with the manufacturers to say, "Well, we want something which is." especially commemorative let's take a look at the history books can yeah. can we can, can we get some form of link it through this um and you know ultimately uh, the the owner and chairman does have the, the the yay or the nay with regards to these if if they if they're a hands-on uh, if they're hands-on chairman and, and steve parish you know, he strikes me as a type of guy that is hands-on oh yeah um but the managers, no, I think, I think the managers just, yeah, because managers are tra- transient. And if, if you talk to people who are in the kit design business, um, they are normally, uh, it, it actually goes through a very long uh, design process. So yeah. uh, you know, next year's kits are already being discussed with clubs now. We, we, we could be two managers down the line. So, yeah. so certainly not the manager. Um, and in terms of, not wearing the colours of their rival, I, I see. I see Manchester United wearing blue this season. Yes, they, yeah, but, but it's a bit like that. That they used to have a very good Adidas kit, yeah. uh, and I think they're trying to replicate that from 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 years gone by. Why would the number of shirts that Palace or Arsenal sell be commercially sensitive? Why would they be reluctant to let people know that they'd sold, especially a high number? You'd think they'd be sort of boasting about the fact that they'd sold fifteen thousand units or whatever they call them. Well, they they like to boast of record numbers. Right, but they don't like to actually tell people what those numbers uh, are, okay. because I mean, I, I did see um, an article in the Athletic recently about uh, Watford's new kit, um, and and I think they're they're hoping to sell around about forty to fifty thousand units. Wow, um, which is yeah, that that's uh, that's that seems pretty good to me. Um, but the actual numbers uh, tend to be between the manufacturer and the the club itself, because. Um, let, let's say that you are, uh, let, let's say you know, Palace's kit's being made by Puma, you know, the, yeah. uh, Brighton's kit's being made by by Nike. If if the deal's due to expire in 18 months, you know, conversations are taking place with Adidas, you know, with Castore. We've got this new, these new kits on the block now at Rangers yeah. and Newcastle and so on. Um, and you don't want to give too much away because you're, you're, you're in the state of negotiation. You say, well, yeah, we... we, we 
we think that uh, we're roughly in this ballpark, but what do you think you could do? And right. how are you going to... Uh, how are you going to agree the deal? Is it, is it going to be a fixed amount? Of, yeah, we've, we've spoken that, that Liverpool have accepted a lower amount from Nike. They've accepted 30 million. Yeah. They could have got yeah. 50 million elsewhere, but they're getting a 20% return. So so all of this is, is part of sort of the, the poker game between the, the clubs and the manufacturers. Now, speaking of Palace, Al Laws, Al, I beg your pardon, I've given him an extra S. Speaking of Al, <laughs> Al Law, Al Law asks for your views on buy now, pay later schemes. He says, my team, which is Crystal Palace, recently announced a partnership with Zip for purchases from the club shop. I'm not convinced, says Al, this is a good thing. Obviously, for those who keep up the payments, they're fine, but I'm concerned it could cause problems for others. Um, Palace also proudly announced a partnership with a COVID testing company this week which is all a bit corporate. I'm not entirely sure why we should be proud of it. Um, but we're signing loads of young players and we've got a snazzy new kit, so we're not worried about that stuff. Um, <laughs> but I, I, this is an interesting question for me because SE25 is a, a, an economically deprived area. Mm, mm. So, And, of course, the club are arguing rightly, and I understand why. Finley, is it going in or going out? Is it <laughs> He's mention- just coming in. Just ah. coming in to say hello. Yeah, because we're talking about his favourite club. That's why. <laughs> yeah, Finley's a good boy. I'll send him a little... He, he a- wants to know if he can get wonky chomps on a buy now, pay later deal. Of course he can. I'll send him a little cuddly eagle to go with it, a little squeaky <laughs> eagle. Um, from the club point of view, they, they think they're doing a good thing because they're allowing people to spread the, the purchase, which, which I understand, but... Uh, our law does hit on a point. I mean, if you find yourself in the club shop with a couple of kids who are nagging for stuff, and you think, "Well, I can't, I can't actually pay for it, but I'll, I'll do it on this, you know, glorified HP scheme," you could see how it could lead into problems for people, couldn't you? Yes, uh, um, there, there are pluses and minuses. Um, Zip is an Australian finance house that has moved into this particular area of finance which is as you say hp should we be using hp to buy football shirts you know that's that that is a that is a concern um if if you cannot afford something uh spreading the cost i think you have to go and pay on a fortnightly basis it's four four payments yeah um, on a fortnightly basis um what happens in a fortnight if you've not got the money um that that has implications for your credit rating um, and if and it could be that you know you, you've not got a great credit rating, so therefore you've not got a credit card. So th- there is a section of the population who don't have access to easy credit, and you know th- there are credit unions which which I am hugely in favour of, but um, you know, they they themselves uh, you know have, have have a tough job to do. Um, it, it's it's difficult because I don't. Yeah, it's it's easy for me to say just say no. If yeah, you can't afford yeah. something, don't buy it. Yeah, of course. Um, but my personal circumstances is that you know I'm I'm you know uh, I'm Waitrose shopping middle class bore. Yeah, you're comfortable. Um, you're, you're not you're not producer guy levels of uh, comfort, but you're, you're comfortable. Yeah, we understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can, um, you can leave the house without security. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I used, Uncle Terry used to provide security, of course. And, of course, he did. Uh, Very... I, I used to accompany him on his collection rounds for yeah, I... <laughs> for, for buy now, paid later schemes. Yeah, you know, so and and that and I'm, and I'm not saying Zip are from the same 
school of uh, financial enforcement, as my uncle Terry. I, I think legally we'd probably better not say that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, if people can't pay, then, then there, are, there are still financial repercussions. Mm. So I, I, my, my view is, is tread very cautiously because, yes, you can buy something in good faith. Um, if, if you can't afford to buy something today and you're going to have to spread it over four payments, and we're talking, say, a football shirt of 50 or 60, 70 quid, mm. then perhaps the focus of your spending should be elsewhere. Yeah, it's, it's and, and that sounds that sounds patronising. I don't no, want to no, sound it. Like I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's, it's a slightly more difficult conversation for me because it's my club. But uh, broadly speaking, I, I think it's a really good idea. And they've, they've, they've taken it back in-house. You can pay for your season ticket in instalments, for example. Yep. which I think which I think is a really good idea but somehow yeah, I'm that, sli- that's that's different yeah yeah you, I agree. yeah it, but somehow I'm slightly more uneasy about spreading small payments rather than large ones and well, I suppose you could just as well argue that if you've got a credit card that's exactly what you're doing anyway but it's it'll be interesting I I, I might try and talk to somebody from the club to see what the take up I mean I'm sure they wouldn't want me broadcast I'd be interested to see what the take up is from it but I'm it, it's coming from a good place it's it's not an attempt which um, consoles me. It's not an attempt to try and con people who haven't got money to spend money. It's, it is a genuine attempt to help mm. people who are struggling to pay for items straight away. So it does come from a good place. But I, I can understand why people like Al would be slightly uneasy. And it's again, it's something to keep an eye on. We have another question about kits now. I would have put this after the first question about kits, but you know, that's what producer guy, <laughs> that's what producer guy pays himself the big bucks for that sort of decision. But it comes from Samaran Colbert, um, and Samaran Colbert is a Stoke fan. Uh, which that's got is, to be the most exotic name in Stoke. Yeah, do you know what? I think <laughs> I think Samaran's asked a question before, and it turned out it was Colbert. <laughs> uh, we need to. We we need to. I do you know. I, I think people just enjoy me making a bollocks of their names (laughs) so they don't give me any clues basically but anyway samaran um is a stoke fan and this is an interesting one the stoke he says last season when he bought the home and away kit samaran was given the option to have the sponsor bet 365 on the kit or not he went for not but samaran says how does this work financially and is it only because bet 365 own the club and this is this is a really interesting one again for me. Is I remember having a conversation with Steve Parrish shortly after they, him and the others took over the club about the fact that if people could buy the shirt without the, the sponsor on, then they would sell a lot more shirts because they don't want to be walking adverts. But then you would never sell enough shirts to make up for the shortfall that you'd be losing from sponsorship. So it's, it's an interesting one for fans. But is this one specifically because Bet365 owned the club? Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. No, no, because you can do the same with oh, okay. uh, West Ham and Betway. 
Ah, okay, right. So I think it's actually more to do with the fact that uh, if you've got a betting sponsor, and as we know, some people have a sense of unease with the the close relationship between the sport and the gambling industry, and therefore they don't want to be seen to be billboards for that particular industry. Um, In terms of compensation, I don't think Bet365 would be after any compensation. In fact, this this all helps with their narrative is hold on you know, we're not the bad guys yes, in all of this uh, of course, we're giving yes. people yeah we're giving people the opportunity yeah, if they want yeah. to wear the shirt then fine with our logo on if they don't again fine you know we we accept that different people have a different perspective so i think it it, you know, it, it can be turned into a positive um, and I think the West Ham kit, especially their awake, it looks absolutely fantastic. Yes, lovely. Without kit. the logo, yeah. Um, so it's one, yeah, it's one of the old, yeah, it's one of those old school West Ham kits. It looks fantastic. Um, so I don't, I don't think there'll be a compensation issue. Uh, and in fact, this could actually be a positive for for all concerned. Bet three six five or bet bet betway come out of this as the good guys because they're not forcing people to wear the logo. The club ends up selling more units. So yeah. the club makes more money, and the fans are happy because they are given a choice. And, and you know, I'm, I'm an all in favour of choice. So uh, I, I think this is uh, I think this is actually a positive. Um, and uh, again, the, the Stoke Awake is, is looking pretty fantastic. Mm. It's hard to imagine anyone, Kieran, given the choice, uh, buying the kit with the sponsor on. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah. Some people like they feel it's more genuine. It, it's a bit yeah, like okay. you, you know now you can buy the uh, the match shirts. You can pay an extra forty quid over yeah. the standard sixty quid, and you can wear the you know the mat. So it's it's got extra dimples in or something, um, and you, and you feel that much closer to the club. So it uh, from from it, it's amazing that people want the genuine article, um, and, and that's that's in terms of both domestic and uh, international fans of clubs. Yeah, was, I find there's always a reverse correlation between the size of the people buying the match day kit. And the actual match day kit, so there's a lot of very optimistic people buying those kits. Presumably, you think as an investment, you're not getting in that, mate. Um, <laughs> which is why we're debating the new Palace Diagonal Stripe kit. Until I've seen it on a 20 stone bloke who's got Grandad 69 written on the back, I can't make any. <laughs> I can't make any <laughs> opinion either way. Now, Sean Fox. Sean Fox is a Blackburn fan, and Sean said that last season the club revealed their plans to merge the academy and the senior players' training centre into one location and selling off the other site to property developers to fund it. Now, Sean wants to know, is this a positive change to be excited about, or is this a PR spin on an effort to recoup financial losses? Um, I, I'm edging towards the latter. Right. Um, you know, there there are benefits in having a a single training centre because uh, you know if the manager uh, you know, he, he he only has to walk twenty yards to keep an eye on the academy and says you know, those those two lads there come across and train with the with the with the senior team this week. Yeah. So so you know I, I think that there are there are some benefits and also um, if you're an academy player. You feel that little, you know, you're walking a little bit taller because yeah, you're sharing a room, uh, you know, you're sharing facilities with, with the first team. Um, but uh, you know, Blackburn Blackburn's losses under the Venkies have been eye watering, and you can certainly see why the owners have perhaps reached a stage where uh, you know we've been writing out a check for four hundred grand a week for the last decade. Uh, 
what have we got from it? Is there any way to to hemorrhage stop stop hemorrhaging these losses? Um, and uh, if you've got a single training centre, you only need one canteen. You know, you only need yeah. you know, one set of showers. You might need a couple more, but you know, the, you know you're only paying one set of rates. Or you know, on, on, probably on a uh, so yeah, you know, there's there's potential uh, economies of scale in terms of cost savings to be made. Plus, of course, you, you you've sold the the one set of facilities for cash. Which I imagine, given the size of a training ground, even if it's only for the academy, it's going to be a sizable chunk of of real estate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, Nick Brace, uh, Nick Brace is trying it on, I reckon, Kieran. But Nick Brace says, <laughs> with the technology of virtual reality becoming more advanced every year, how will football clubs be able to use this technology to increase their revenue? Now, Kieran, if you have any really good ideas, can you keep them quiet? As I see, I see what you're up to, Nick Brace. Sit back, send questions into Kieran and Swiss Ramble, and come up with some ideas. That suddenly, it's the Nick Brace virtual reality training scheme going. Oh, we know, we know what you're doing. We see through you. But it's an interesting question, though, because uh, the technology around football and statistics and training is is growing exponentially, isn't it? Yeah, and in in terms of virtual reality, football clubs have a natural ceiling in who can attend matches because that's determined by the capacity of the stadium. So if you can't bring the fans to the stadium because the tickets have sold out, why not use virtual reality to bring the stadium to to the fan? Mm. And if you're wearing a VR headset, and, and I've, I've tried some of these VR headsets, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the Oculus Rift and, and, and so on, um, and I was absolutely staggered. I mean, it, it, was, it was genuinely spooky. Um, so... Why not? Uh, you know, you can sit in the manager's chair, so you you can actually have a you know virtual round. You can watch the match from the manager's chair, or you can watch it from the you, know, you can watch it from the Stretford end or the Homesdale or you know Palace and so on. Um, and uh, it, it could be used to give fans uh, a, a more immersive experience. So uh, you know, effectively, something. You know, you pay your normal Sky subscription, but for an extra five or a match, effectively a glorified pay per view, you can get a uh, an alternative uh, an alternative reality picture of the ground, and you're, you're watching it in more of a three D environment. Having said that, Sky did try to bring in three D mm. TV a few years ago, yeah. and um, I think the technical term was it went tits up. You yeah, know, it just it just didn't work. I, I've still got yeah one of those sets of three D glasses, and and it gave me a headache. Now. Was it because at the time the technology wasn't really there, um, and you know, given technological advancements, um, you know, could we be in three or four years' time where you can get a crystal clear, clear view from um, you know either you know the, 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 the main stand behind one of the goals, uh, managers' dugout, or? Could we be having the opportunity? You know, we, we've now got you know, te- technologies taken on such advancements that you could have a couple of cameras located in a player's shirt, and you now become a Car- Harry Kane uh, for ninety minutes, and you see yeah. the match through Harry Kane's eyes via a virtual reality headset. Would you be willing to pay, even if it's a small premium? You know, if, if, if you think about, it, you think Manchester United—they got you know, a billion fans around the world. Well, if, if they can get, persuade ten million of them in a match to go and pay pay even a couple of quid for one of these upgrades, that's that's an extra twenty million quid for a single match. You mm-hmm. know, so um, I, I think that will be the way things go. But it's 
it's a case of you know when, when is the technology right? And, we, and we've seen lots of attempts uh, come and go and fail. I mean, Google Glass, for example, uh, you know that was that was launched to a, a you know a huge fanfare, but that didn't work. It did what didn't work in 2013 might work in 2023. Yeah, I I covered one of the games that they were trying to show in 3D for the first time, and the cameras were huge. I mean, they were mm. sort of kitchen size; they were massive, and cameramen hated them. But uh, cameramen hate most things except North Face, <laughs> except North Face. Uh, it's got North Face written on it. Cameramen will like it. I'm not even going to ask. You, I'm not even going to ask you what the Oculus Rift is, Kieran, because it, it sounds it sounds painful. Uh, well, it, it, it's it's not yet in the the Bisprofanosaurus, but I'm I'm working. On it. I, I should think you are. And I, I can guess what it might pertain to as well. <laughs> uh, our penultimate question comes from Mark Goodchild, um, and it's a question that's echoed around many a pub. I imagine. And it's why do foreign investors buy lower league clubs? Have they been misled or are they just looking to make a quick profit by flipping the club? Um, Some of them have been misled um, because they are told you can buy a lower league club for for next to nothing. And um, they are then sold the dream. You're only three steps away from the Premier League. You go, wow, Wow, I'm three steps away from... Manchester United and Liverpool coming to my club, which I bought for five million quid, sign me up. Uh, not realizing it, it's not actually the cost of buying the club that's a problem; it's it's underwriting the the, the annual operating losses and the wages yeah. and uh, the maintenance costs. So, um, I, I think some people are perhaps misled. Uh, there are there are various brokers out there whose uh, whose moral and ethical compass is, is not necessarily pointing north shall we say um <laughs> uh, and and there's there's others who love english football so you know we we were talking to rob angus weren't we uh, last indeed, weekend indeed uh, yeah. last week and you know clem morfuni is uh, an australian uh football fan he loves english football yeah, and of course yeah. there you've got aussie rules and rugby league and cricket yeah. and you know kangaroo throwing or whatever they, they do um and uh he he loves football, and he wanted the he's always wanted the opportunity to, to to own a football club, and that opportunity came through, and he's taken it. Um, and you know he he, he comes across as, as somebody that, that does actually understand the value of a pound and and knows that it's not going to be an easy journey. Um, so you know partly it's partly due to a love of English football and, and you know, the pyramid and the ninety two. I think we we underestimate how much in awe that is held uh, in, in many countries. Some people think that they're smarter than they are. So, you know, I can run a football club because I've run a successful peanut business, you know, domestically. Mm. Um, and therefore, I can transfer those skills into football. And what, what we have seen with football is that that's not necessarily the case because football involves emotions, which you don't normally have in other lines of business. Mm. I'm not an expert on Australian wildlife, Kieran, but I suspect kangaroos don't take kindly to being thrown <laughs> uh, I, uh, I suspect a reluctant kangaroo would be quite difficult. <laughs> um, our last question comes from, and I apologize, I might be trying to be too clever, 
with the pronunciation of this name, but it comes from Jakub Nemchuk. Uh, apologies if I'm way off beam again. Uh, but this is a question that only you can answer. Oh, let's face it, kid. Most of the questions on this part of ones only you can answer. I'm all right on kit, but that's about it. But Jakub says, as a football business university student, I want to ask your thoughts on the relevancy of such courses and whether COVID could affect future job opportunities in football for young graduates. Right. I, I, I've got a funny feeling that many of our listeners are now sending in names which they know are going to challenge you. <laughs> and, and they might not even necessarily be their own names. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I think, yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, g- going back to, to Jakub's question, um, the relevancy of football courses at universities, football is certainly a sexy industry. You know, I, yeah. I, and you know, I, I teach on the Football Industries MBA course at the University of Liverpool. That course has been running for you know, 20, 25 years. It was set up by Rogan Taylor. Yeah, Rogan is, is quite oh, famous for his involvement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ro- Ro- Rogan's an absolute... First of all, he, he is as cool as cool as can be. Yeah, he was, um, a, he was a, so, a sociologist originally, wasn't he, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's, he's really a, interesting, yeah. He, he's, he, yeah, he's, he's a fascinating bloke. Uh, and... Uh, he was... You know, and, yeah, and, he, and, he was sorry. I mean, he was pretty much the first to sort of apply academic rigor to the study of football, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well, smart, smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, he's also connected very much with uh, the Hillsborough campaign and, and support for families, and he, he's uh, he's held in high regard in the city um, and and at the university. Um, uh, my 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 reservation is that there are now many other institutions offering football degrees and people are attracted to them because they think, well, on the back of this, I can get a job in football. So, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll be honest, yeah, I get asked to do presentations at, at a, a variety of institutions and that's the most common question I get asked. Yeah, uh, how can I get a job in football? Yeah, of course. You, right, you get a job in football by being good at yeah. what you do. Yeah. And therefore, you know, my advice is, um, concentrate on your key skill. Now, whether that's in marketing, in HR, in finance, in law, in negotiations, in management, uh, in communication, first of all, focus on your skills and then ask yourself, how can I add value? How, how, can, I, how can I make myself attractive to the football industry? Because the nature of the football industry, there's only 92 clubs. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a business which is going to expand. If, if yeah, anything, it's a business yeah. which is going to contract. Uh, you know, we, we saw with Project Big Picture, the first thing they wanted to do was to get rid of two clubs from the Premier League yeah, and, to, yeah. and, to, and to stop the 92 and, and make it a 90. So you know, it, it's, it's not an industry which is going to get necessarily a lot bigger. Um, and therefore, there is a natural ceiling in terms of the number of jobs. You know, I, I, I don't work in the football industry, but I'm sort of... I'm sort of on the periphery. Yeah, I'm sort of yeah the Neptune of the football industry, as it were. Um, and, and and how did I get to be Neptune? Um, it was by taking my core skills, which you know, I'm a teacher, so I think I can communicate. I think I can explain. And also, I know a little bit about finance and then applying that to the niche area. But it, it took me years mm. to to really sort of get a breakthrough. Um, and and it, and it, and the other thing I would say to people, a qualification is not going to open doors. You've got to use that qualification and evidence it with 
a portfolio of work or achievements, which somebody in football will say, actually, this person could be really useful to us. So, so that's that's what my advice mm. uh, would be in in a scenario uh, such as this. Um, do do these courses give you an advantage? Um, they give you an advantage if you if you network as a result. You know, if you if you manage to get in contact with people from the industry, um, don't expect to get rich working in football. Unless it's only the the elite clubs at the elite level. You know, if, if you get to be a chief executive, uh, we've just seen uh, Newcastle United's accounts come out today. Uh, their chief executive, his his pay treble to six hundred and seventy five grand a year. So yes, you know there there is money involved, but there's there's only twenty chief executives of Premier League clubs. Mm. So there's a lot of demand. There, sorry, there, there's there's fixed demand. There's almost unlimited supply because everybody wants to work in football. Is a yeah. football fan. So just be cautious. But you can certainly get an, a, a greater understanding of the industry. But that in itself is not enough. Yeah, we'll be taking a look, by the way, at those Newcastle figures in more detail on Thursday. I, I feel the same way about your courses as I do. Uh, not a week goes by without somebody saying to me, you know, I want to be a comedian. Mm. Should I go to comedy classes? And I go, yeah, by all means, sign up for a comedy class because it'll be useful in in making friends. It'll be useful in getting a support group. It'll help yeah. you find your way around a microphone. They'll show you how to fill in uh, invoices. But unfortunately, the only way you can become a comedian or a better one is to do gig after gig after mm. gig. And it, it breaks my heart because I've been through that process and these people yeah. are, are desperate. but it's the last thing they want you to tell them is it's going to take you five years of working your nuts off to uh, to become a comedian if you want you know, and you've really got to want to do it basically and it's they that's not what they want to hear but unfortunately that is the only advice i can give them um and and again it's like you there are far more people wanting to be comedians than there are you know jobs on tv as comedians mm. essentially mm. so um, but it's heartbreaking, and, and you know the COVID question is the same in comedy as it is in, f- in football. It's 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 affected my industry dreadfully because a yes. third a third of comedy clubs are not opening up again ever. You know, and Jeez. it's and it's it will be the same with with football. It's, it's you know football will contract for a couple of years. It will, it will get smaller before it grows outwards again. But yeah, I, I think the only important advice you could do first of all is just make sure you really really want to do it. And you want to do it for the right reasons, essentially. And, and only you yeah. know what only only you know what the right reasons are. But yeah, you know, if, and, 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 and I would say loving football isn't the right reason. Yeah, well, again, it's uh, that, that's people will have their own right reasons, but you have to really work out why you want to be in football or why mm. you want to be in comedy. And when, then once you've done that, just apply yourself. But um, it's easy for us too, Kieran, isn't it? Because we've. We 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 lived in an era we didn't really have to apply yourself. It's just some kind of half. No, no. I could tell some half-assed jokes, and you could fold, you could fold a spreadsheet essentially. Yeah, and, and, much, and yeah. also, I mean, I, I went. I'm from that era of people. I went to university because I didn't want to work for three years. Yeah, and, and that was yeah, yeah. you know. And we were we were fortunate that you know we we didn't have to go and pay for. I, mean, I didn't have to pay for university fees. I, I got a grant. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had a summer. You know, I'd, I'd a variety of strange jobs, um, but uh, it, it it was it was very much different then. And you know, I I spent you know 
25 years slogging it out as a teacher and as an accountant. And I was u- I was using football as a means of trying to keep my students awake. Yeah, oh, okay. And, and, right. and then sort of through the back door, they said, well, why not actually, if, if, if they're staying awake during the football, why not, why not make football the focus? Um, and, and on the back of that, but I'll be honest, I spend hour, you know, I was up at six o'clock this morning it, because I wanted to be the first person to get the Newcastle figures out. And I still know I'm nothing more than a pound shop Swiss ramble. <laughs> You're far more than that, Kieran. You really are. I wish, you know, I'm just getting misty. I know I sometimes wish I'd stayed at university, but, but there you go. Archaeology's lost is podcasting's gain. But, um, <laughs> uh, and do you know what, Kieran? I was, do, 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 was it a race between you and Swiss ramble to get those? <laughs> no, no. He, as he always says, it's the tortoise and the hare. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm normally first out of the blocks, and he puts together, he puts together a masterpiece. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's McDonald's versus Michelin star, and, and I know my place, and, and there's room for both. Yeah, that, that's my view. Yeah, he never had two glorious weeks in Moscow, though, did he? There's, uh, <laughs> a big thank you to everyone. A big thank you to everyone in Moscow who made that possible. Um, also, yes. a big thank you to everyone who's kindly <laughs> decided to make a monthly contribution to our Always Free to Air podcast. Uh, and they include Jerry Brady, John Walker, Sally Bruce, Simon Robinson, Ethan Riley, Max Healy, and Liam Reynolds. Thank you to you all. If you'd like to join them, uh, in making a small monthly contribution, then go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. And if you have any questions for our next questions pod, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And I shall hand you over to Mr. Maguire for his customary farewell. Right. Well, uh, thanks again, folks, for all the feedback. And uh, yeah, we, we whilst whilst we like to claim that we're, we're far too uh, far too cool, we always have a sneak, sneak peek. Well, I certainly do at, at the reviews. Um, and if you could give us a five-star review, um, and there's been some absolutely superb ones uh, uh, come through recently where, where you give us the five stars and then you write something rude about us. That's fantastic <laughs> because Apple Apple don't read the reviews. So so we love it and it makes us laugh as well. Um, it helps us in the charts. Uh, yeah, we, we do try to get guests. We, we are trying to build up uh, relationships with people in football just just to go give them an opportunity to be able to to answer questions which we think might be of value to you and the first thing that they do is say well who the hell are these guys they look at the charts and if we're in the you know we think we're in the top 40 uh, of sports podcasts then, then it, it certainly helps our credibility uh, and uh, you know as, as producer guys that says it helps the business as well uh, other than that uh, look after yourselves football season starting this weekend the EFL's back uh, the sun's not out, but who cares? It football's back. Yeah, Scotland came back last week. Before you point that out, yes. Uh, so, yes. so you're talking to producer guy, are you? He's, he, oh, so I'm glad one of us is. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>
as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General, giving you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network.